Hey everybody, welcome back to Shield of Hope channel and Shield of Hope podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, wherever you want to find us. Thank you for spending your beginning 2023 with us. And I think we have a pretty exciting list, but we also have a very exciting guest today. Jacob and Kenny is in studio. I'm back. I'm not dead, apparently. It's been a while. Yeah, it has been a while. Uh, when was our last podcast? Started 2022? I think it was probably looking forward to the films of 2022 and TV shows. So that would have been right around the start of the year. Which is fine because we're going to wrap it up on this episode of what we thought about the 2022. Beginning and the end. Whether it was poetic. a lot of films we saw or whether it was very few or far in between. Yeah, so how would you, just if you were to give your overall thoughts on this year's films and uh, let's group TV shows in as well, I think. Uh, do you think this was a good year for films and just media in general or one of the weaker years? Um, well, according to the box office, especially coming from 2020 and stuff, yes, this has been a stronger market for films mm-hmm. this year, considering 2021 and 2020, but it still wasn't to the peak of 2019, 2018 before COVID. Um, so, you know, I think it was a stronger year. I mean, you have films like Top Gun Maverick and Avatar, which we will talk about on this list as well. Oh, absolutely. So... I guess dive right into it. I think it was a strong box office and a strong appeal for films. Jake, give us your first, by the way, for the audience, if you're listening to us, we're not going to do a top one, two. We're not going to really order rank these films. We're going to do a boom and bust section. So we're going to start off with our first boom. So we're kicking off the year with a boom. Jake, I actually decided that I put Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness in a boom. Oh, now that's interesting because most of the people reacting to this film considered it a major bust. I saw people that rated this as the bottom of the Marvel tier list. And not just this year's movies, all Marvel movies. They said this is the worst of them all. So tell me, Donnie, why do you have this one as a boom? And also, before we get into that, so did you see the first one or did you jump right into the second? Because if I recall, you weren't a big fan of the first one. So I'm not a big fan of the first one. I did watch it before I went to see the second one. Mm Mm-hmm. And so you like the second one better than the first, just to establish? I do, because I like the action in the second a lot better than the first. Okay, so now we can jump in. Give me your full spiel here. After he just decided to throw me on the bus and be like, see, he hated Doctor Strange 1, so of course (laughs) he likes Doctor Strange 2. I love Doctor Strange 1, so I had to ask. Um, Doctor Strange 2, Multiverse of Madness. The reason I gave it a boom is because, actually, it was more of a default boom in the sense of every other Marvel film, which will be on this list or not. And TV show. And TV shows. I thought all failed in comparison okay. to Doctor Strange Multiverse Madness. And I will say, well, I, I'm not going to say that because that's a spoiler for the list if you're tuning in. Doctor Strange, though, brought something. I mean, yes, you could say there was more like a more of a witchcraft type style to it than a Doctor Doctor Strange type wizardry. Than sorcery, yeah. Yes. Sorcery, witch versus sorcery. So I know where people can say, hey, you know, it doesn't feel like Doctor Strange because it wasn't about that. But to me, I thought the action was there. I thought there was a better story than some of the other Marvel films. Mm-hmm. So that personally is why I gave it as a boom. More of a default boom, but it's something that I thought would shock the list to start off, so I wanted it to be a shock warning. One thing I do want to say about the Doctor Strange is I liked some of the tones they had in this film. They went for more of a horror vibe in this one compared to, I'd say, probably any other Marvel movie we've had, at least in the current iteration of Marvel DC or Marvel MCU. And I did appreciate them taking that different angle because it feels different than just your generic marvel superhero film it felt very dc-ish yeah i would say that especially when we went into the parallel universe like the uh, i don't remember the exact which earth number it was but that kind of felt like a dc film we saw you know heroes dying we saw blood splatter we saw you know the whole and it felt like a generic multiverse too 
mm-hmm. where like, yeah, they pull different people. And sometimes it was different characters playing different people as well in the multiverse compared to like what Earth were on in the comic book series. Mm-hmm. So that was a little bit cool, too. It's not something that you saw in like the DC, the Flash or Arrowverse for people that are watching the CW shows. It was, you know, it was just a different type of multiverse than you would expect. Well, something so different like- happens in this point and sort of bridges the timeline is what they went with with this uh, I almost said time travel theory, but this theory of time. And how could you not universes. appreciate Evil Doctor Strange? I mean, I enjoyed it. But I like all Doctor Stranges, so I'm in a special category there. Though it was great to see some of the uh, X-Men people appearing in this. Because we've always kind of said, oh, these are the same universes. And we've never had any actual crossover in the modern iteration. And we finally did. Even if it's just an alternate universe, it was so cool to see... Um, what's his name? Picard? Oh, uh xavier x or dr xavier it was so cool to see dr x there with the council and the illuminati i think they were um so jake give us a boom on your list so the boom i'm going to throw down it's fitting we just talked about marvel i'm going to throw it over to the dc side and i'm going to say the batman which so i'm not one of the uh biggest batman fans i do like batman but i'm not hardcore about it but this one i enjoyed it takes a very different take on what we know from batman so when you think of Batman movies, a lot of people, you kind of go to the Dark Knight, the Christopher Nolan movies. And this one was a much grittier, investigative Batman. He was isolated from the crowds. He didn't have that same charm that it did in the Dark Knight. But you could still feel for him. And so when he was on the case, he was really investigating in sort of a more like a detective story instead. And I really enjoyed that take. I enjoyed the character. Uh, and it was kind of fresh. So it's a boom for me. Okay. Oh, I'm cool with that. And the Batman 2, again, a darker film. Mm-hmm. But really, we just talked really, about Doctor Strange. Literally darker, darker than this yes. one, though, because Dark. it was you also... You couldn't see it, apparently, in Jake's eyes. <laughs> yeah, so but... it depends what kind of see, screen you're watching, what kind of lighting you, you had. That's what happens when you don't watch in theaters. You oh, I know, I know. On, on the comfort of your but home. I still I have, have pretty good sound, TV. Folks. I do. Do you? Oh, yeah. Oh, it's a Bose TV. Oh, well, that's that the thing that exists, that people. Yeah. That's the thing that exists. Bose TV does not sponsor this program, by the way. Yeah, but Bose it's is clear. known for its sound quality. Uh, no, I love our surround sound. It's, uh, it's it's better than our local theater, to be honest. But it is a single-room local theater we have here. Uh, but I enjoyed the Batman. I still like the Dark Knight series better, but I did enjoy that film. Keeping it in a dark tone, we're going to go with our first bust of the day. Morbius. Ah, I don't care what you say. I'm going to morb. Didn't it take long for this film to become a bust in theaters? In fact, I believe it re-released trying to figure things out, and that didn't work either. It tried to jump on the meme bandwagon with its re-release, but the problem is that people weren't watching it in theaters. They were just pirating it and watching it or going by word of mouth. So while the re-release, I I don't think it was like the worst idea to try and captivate on that sort of meme audience. They misread what their audience actually was and what they wanted. You know what's sad is a lot of people that I talked to in my inner circle actually was looking forward to Morbius Mm -hmm. when it was announced. It was coming off the high Spider-Man and all these and the Joker and all these. And it was supposed to have that darker tone. At least it seemed like it was going to. Which I know Joker is DC and not Marvel, but that's it still had that that tone to it. Kind of gets into that superhero genre. uh, Venom, I guess, is a better example coming Mm -hmm. off the Venom franchise that they started. It's like, yeah, Morbius was teased and Morbius, and it pushed a lot of different things back too, because I believe Morbius was postponed because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And then it pushed back Venom 2, 
because there were some like fillers that like you would like to see in Morbius, and then it was just like, well, Morbius is a bust, so now we just got to get over it. Yeah, though it's a legendary bust. It is a legendary bust. People will be talking about Morbius for years to come. Not because it was a good film, not because they're actually talking about the film itself, but it will live on in meme culture. At least until we get tired of it. But we haven't gotten tired of Among Us yet, so I think it's still going to be This is probably going to be disrespectful, so forgive me Blade fans, but do you think they tried to capitalize on what the Blade audience was in Morbius? Because it was too, like, there wasn't a lot of, like, actual, like, character developments or plots. It was really more just like a vampire fest. It was, it very much felt like a generic vampire film, I have to be honest. I think they were just trying to hit sort of vampire audience, not necessarily Blade specifically, maybe, but some of those, you know, maybe grab some of the Twilight fans, uh, just sort of the click, what we do in the shadows, maybe some of those, even though that's a comedy. I just, I have so many questions about like, who greenlit this project and thought, yes, that's the, that's the movie we need. But if we're going to talk about, you know, who greenlit this, uh, why not jump to another bus? So I'm going to, this is a show list for me, and I'm going to put this as, cinematically, is a bus, the Halo TV show. Oh my gosh. So I know you're a PlayStation boy, so you haven't played the Halo games. But if you're a Halo fan and you watch this show, a part of you dies inside. And so I'm gonna. This is gonna sound ironic. As a bust, I actually. This is a bust. It sucks. The story's bad. So much of it's bad. The visuals aren't aren't the worst. There was actually some nice visuals, particularly with like some of the armor and the weapons. Uh, the ships were pretty weird in some cases. But terrible bust. But I actually really enjoyed watching this show, which is wild to say. And the reason I enjoyed watching this is so I watched it with a buddy of mine who's diehard Halo fan, kind of like we are with Star Wars. And I were watching this film, and it's, you know how you watch, like, a, a B-flick movie, and you know it's going to be bad, so you just tear it apart and just enjoy the pain? We kind of did that with this show. And let me tell you, it's terrible. We got to the second episode, and I was like, are you going to cry over there? I, I can hear the strain in your voice. Uh, but oh, it was a fun watch, because we did it together, but oh boy, it just, the writing is so bad. And he never leaves the helmet on. It's coming off every two minutes. Which, if you know anything about Master Chief and Halo, helmet never comes off. So they could take to learn a lesson from the Mandalorian, and it is, ooh, it's a bad show. Was that the moment that broke you when you took the mask off? No, because we knew it was coming. We all knew that helmet was coming off in the first 10 minutes. Uh, the moment that broke me was actually some of the, uh, I'm going to say, D-tier special effects. Uh, there's this section in the first episode, I believe I sent you a, this clip to actually watch, where someone gets shot with a plasma weapon and explodes. And the explosion is just... <sighs> when I was in middle school, there was this like FX app you could get on your phone, and it was like a joke thing where you take a video and put all the dumb explosion effects in it. That's literally what this explosion was. So it explodes from, I believe, the front of this person, and then they flew sideways crashed into this tree like full force and then came back down and there was no body harm on them like there was no fire through them it was just oh it That's was terrible acting skills right there it was so bad but i so i saw this and it was supposed to be a really serious scene so it was the first encounter with the covenant which is like the alien species of the halo universe in the timeline we're at and it's a bunch of children out exploring and they get hit by these aliens and it's supposed to be really emotional because like they're shooting these 
I'm gonna say young adults, because it's not really kids. They're they're probably adults already, probably maybe like 18 to 20 range or something like that. Uh, but it's supposed to be kind of emotional because it's like, oh no, what's happening? And they're dying. But it's just, the, the kids, half the kids are high when it's happening and these explosions are so bad and the blood splatter is so over the top that you just, you can't take it seriously. And that's within the first 10 minutes of the movie or show. Very strong start. <laughs> uh, continuing on a bust and... You know, I'm kind of in between on this film. So the, I have two question mark films. So if there's a boom and a bust, these two are kind of in the middle because I didn't know where to put them. I really can't put them as a boom because the one lost a lot of money, mm -hmm. but it actually wasn't as bad as what I thought people were writing it out to be. And the other one, even though it did make money, was based off a video game from PlayStation. I know which one that's going to be. And I, quite frankly, enjoyed it as a good watch, like a battleship type style movie watch but then the fans kind of didn't like it if you played the actual game i did not play the actual game so disclaimer i don't have any connection to the characters whatsoever which i'm surprised because you are usually pretty dedicated to the playstation side i am but only star wars playstation side no you go beyond that i go a little bit beyond. that is your main focus by the way if you haven't checked out rocket league <laughs> that's what i was waiting for you to say I mean, but I think League, everyone's heard of Rocket League. Well, now. everybody plays Rocket League except you, so that's a different story. Yeah, a lot of people don't. So we're talking about Uncharted. Uncharted, mm -hmm. really, to me, again, another fun watch. Just I wasn't connected or invested in the in. So I'm not really a good person to explain Uncharted because I'm not invested in that type of characters from what the video games were. I you just didn't know have when the I background. sat. Yes, when I just sat down and watched the movie, I was like, you know, this is a fun little watch. I was like, I can see it's. Even though it had A-tier actors, you could have casted B-tier actors and put the same movie together and probably would have grossed the same amount of money. Yeah, I mean, there, the casting, there is a Tom Holland effect. I'm which glad lets... you mentioned the actors, too, because one of the biggest complaints I've heard, so I have not played the original Uncharted either, but one of the biggest complaints I've heard from people that did is that casting did not feel right for them, especially Tom Holland. But there's also Tom Holland appeal coming off the Spider-Man franchise mm -hmm. and everything else. So like, I understood the decision to cast a, a big-name I, I he has a lot of hype around him. People are really I was going to say child actor, but he's not a child anymore. He so, kind of looks like it, though. Like He, he, does, he played Spider-Man well. I mean, he looks like a teenager, so I mean, there you Absolutely. go. Absolutely. How old is he, do you know? Probably 23, I would imagine. 20, I was going to say 24, maybe. But 23, 24, we'll I could believe that. that. Fact check us in the comment yeah. section below. You diehard Tom Holland fans. We know you're out there. Um, so Uncharted. But the other one I'm going to say is Black Adam. Oh, okay, the rock movie. Black Adam. Huge bomb in the box office. Avatar passed it within the first weekend. Like, that's, you know, that's how that went. But you're not saying Avatar shouldn't have passed it in the first weekend, but passed it in the first weekend. Oh, this is interesting, by the way. So Tom Holland, 26 years old. 26. Yeah, born in the same year as us. Ooh, what month? Uh, June. Ooh, he's after me, so he's still... I got him. Mm -hmm. I'm older. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? I'm well, you know what? Thing. I mean, he's also more accomplished at his age than I am, so I guess that's a bad thing. J just a little bit. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Um, but how do you not love this studly face, right, Jake? <laughs> I really, I did not think he was going to be 26. That was not what I was betting on. Anyways, Black Adam real quick as we wrap up this in-between kind of, I don't know where to put it because I actually watched it the other day. I rent it, I believe it or not, I rented it for mm -hmm. cheap on Amazon at that point, Amazon Prime. I it's uh, it. already on TV, by the way. Oh, well, I was scrolling. I just... right, actually, right before this, I was just kind of flicking through the channels and it was sitting there. I was like, wow, that came to TV really quickly. Well, you know what? Now I wasted my three ninety nine just doing yeah. that. But you know what? It really wasn't a bad watch. But again, I'm not invested in the DC really because, and we we've seen over the past few weeks what happened with Henry Cavill and mm -hmm. Superman and all that news. 
So, I mean, the only good thing... There was also ben, some drama between the, him and The Rock, the too. The only good thing is that Ben Affleck is a bad guy. That is the only good thing. But, whatever. Christopher Reeves is going to... Or, Christopher Reeves? Matt Reeves. Director of the Batman. Matt Reeves, Christopher Reeves. One of them is the actor, one of them is the director. I do Either not way, know offhand. Um, they're going to do good things with that Batman with Robert Pattinson, so I'm not really too worried about it. But there is a lot of shake up. Black Adam wasn't as bad as I thought it was, so kind of in between. Mm-hmm. I heard kind of so it generally got bashed by critics, and fans were like, eh, not bad. It's like a 50 50 split. Yeah. Kind of where it should be. Yeah, like they didn't rip into it, but they also weren't like, you know, celebrating. It's not either. a Shazam, it's not an Aquaman, it's not a Wonder Woman the first one. Mm-hmm. It's more like, well, I wouldn't even say it's Wonder Woman the second one because the second one was below Black Adam. So. Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of one of those that's like, well, this happens. This is one of the movies of all time where, you know, you've seen that. But yeah, so uh, I guess we'll kick it on to, since I just did a bust, I'm going to do a boom. And why don't we talk about Andor, the latest Star Wars show to come to Disney+. And this is a big deal because, so I we're probably going to get into some more Star Wars shows later on or just Star Wars content in general. And that is something we cover, you know, here or there on the channel. But I'd say this is the best show we've had on Disney Plus for Star Wars. It starts out as a slow burn, and then it really amps up after a couple of episodes. And that's something, so they always said, oh, critics used to say, like, when people didn't like the sequels, oh, it's because they don't, Star Wars fans just want nonstop action. And this show is great because it proves that, no, we don't need nonstop action. We just want good stories. And Andor does a great job, uses the main character, well, one of the main characters from the Rogue One cast, Comes back here, and it's a good time. We have characters like Mon Mothma making appearances that are fan favorites, even though they're not necessarily popular names. And I can highly recommend that one. So, now that you recommended that one, I'm assuming there's probably a bust on your list that is also a Star Wars TV show, so go right into that oh, one. Oh, yes. This one I can really rip into. So, I thought it was called Kenobi, but when we were looking at Rotten Tomatoes earlier, it was actually called Obi-Wan Kenobi on that list. A limited but, series. Yeah, is that is that the behind the scenes one or is that? No, so Kenobi was because they wanted it to be so for Oscar nominations and for awards. Mm-hmm. They also give awards for like a series, but it's a limited series. So they were trying. Disney has been trying to capitalize on the limited series, like Moonlight's supposed to be a limited series. I was really confused on that because I was like, I'm pretty sure when it aired, it was called Kenobi, and then I saw that, and the ratings were like, this, this looks like Kenobi, the show. But they did have that documentary that threw a lot of people off because they thought, oh, is it season two already? But it, it was just behind the scenes. Well, I would say the the writers probably were arguing about the title and they probably didn't know the title. Yeah, just like the me. writers didn't know what they were actually writing. So, yeah, we could. Let's, so, Kenobi, definitely a bust. And just, oh, do we? how hard do we want to dig into this one? Dig into it, Jake. Because I feel like this is, as a show... I feel like every episode, the first episode isn't the worst thing, but most of these episodes you could rip in almost minute by minute. It's just, it's bad writing, it's bad filming, and I don't actually completely blame the director here. So I know, I've heard that she had an initial script, she wanted to do sort of a character study similar to Wolverine, is what she quoted. And supposedly she had her script, and it was looked at by higher-ups in Disney and Lucasfilm, Kathleen Kennedy, and they made changes. And that probably got us to where we are here. But there's so many scenes, especially like with child Leia, uh, right in the first episode there when she's being chased by the mercenaries and they have to keep doing cutaways because this little child actor, and it's not her fault at all. This is just what she's told to do is they want to do this like 10 minute chase scene. 
and she's a very slow runner, and these professional mercenaries cannot catch her for 10 minutes. And they're doing the classic, you know, run into trees, like old school, supposed to be comedy, I guess, but this was supposed to also be a serious show, so what tone are we going for here? And it's just, from a character standpoint, from a plot standpoint, from just, like, basic lore standpoint, so much of it is weird. So, one thing, and it was very odd to me, is so Obi-Wan is so surprised that Anakin is alive in Darth Vader. And, but, correct me if I'm wrong here, but in Episode 3... He already knew that because he saw the hologram where it was Rise, Lord Vader. And I'm sure he already knows Darth Vader is out wandering the galaxy. So if he knows, oh, well, Darth Vader was Anakin and there's a Darth Vader around, I guess Anakin survived. One of my biggest complaints about Kenobi was exactly that. Mm. See, in all the other lore, and don't get me wrong, there's been a lot of Star Wars canon over the years where, mm. like, there's different stories about Obi-Wan and how they t t take uh, how he takes care of Luke and all this other stuff, but my biggest complaint is like I assumed just like anybody else in the novels too that we read in in between three and four is that he was protecting Luke from Vader. Mm -hmm. So we and already we, we assume that he found out somehow that he survived, but in this series it made it seem like he didn't know that Vader was Anakin. Mm -hmm. It almost made it seem like he knew that Vader was alive and that Vader was like an evil person, but like wasn't Anakin. But you go back to the hologram. In episode like, three, and, and we see this on screen with him seeing that. So anything we have to on, scene, on screen, you have to assume that your main character knows because the audience knows. When they're present. Yes. When they're present, of course. So to me, that was the biggest plot hole in all of this. But let's talk about one more thing. Were you strictly Disney and writers of Kenobi ripped off other TV shows from your own genre? You ripped off things from your own video games, like Cal Kestis and Jedi Fallen Order? So much of this was just... So first off, one thing I wanted to add really quick before I forget, we can look back to it if we want, is from a plot character standpoint, like, you know, him not knowing Vader, so much of it felt like it was done just to make plot happen. Like, ooh, this character did this stupid decision just so that this thing will happen. Reva, you know, kidnaps Leia. Oh, because this will pull Kenobi out of hiding. Like, it's so much it's just... What? Like, where is the actual character logic behind these moments? And the stupidest scene, the rock fight at the end. It was a snowball fight with rocks. It looked like they were, like, styrofoam just <laughs> bouncing off of them. And they don't dent the armor or anything. It's just like... like eh, I'm sorry, like, eh. Vader does not have a personal force force field around like him to it take these so hits. Like, silly. he still should have been hit with that. If he was hit with it... Like, look at episode two, Attack of the Clones. Mm -hmm. When they're hit by, like, these... Things that like Count Dooku's thrown at Yoda or like whatever, and it connects with Kenobi or like it they falls feel like on they them. have weight. They actually like hit them, crush them, or like move them to the side. Mm -hmm. Like I was like two and three showed that well. That was something that I think that George didn't really show, and I, it was probably budget wise in the first trilogy. Yeah, it was but like so much. Even easier. even when Vader is chucking things at Luke, when the window breaks open and the air's sucking out, and when it hits they Luke, feel like he they like have he weight. gets like thrown back, and like there's like moments where he he's fighting. I think like, there's a section where he does get hit too, and he's yeah. like Ugh, like a heavy grunt. And I'm just over here like, and then well, and then of course another rip off where it rips off half the mask. Like we haven't seen that before. So yeah, there's so many scenes. Uh, also, I had forgotten about the rock scene until just now you mentioned it. When I was thinking of episode six, I was thinking about the TIE fighter scene in the beginning where they were chasing the shuttle with a Star Destroyer. So basic shuttle, Star Destroyer, and they're calling back to the last Jedi, I guess, where they're chasing the shuttle and they just keep hammering the shields, but they can't catch it. But this is an Imperial Star Destroyer. And then it sends out the little shuttle, which 
odd as well. And they go different ways and they're like, no, no, we need to chase this one here. Like the whole time I was like, one, why can't you hit them? I feel like I'm watching Spaceballs, like where they're firing and completely missing everything. But two, you're a Star Destroyer. You have TIE Fighters. You have Imperial Shuttles. Like, why did Vader need the whole Star Destroyer just to chase Obi-Wan when you could send, you know, divide the forces and take both at once? It just, it made no sense. And that's not even getting into the Reva and how she somehow got to Tatooine before Obi-Wan did and total mess there. But so yeah, ta let's talk about ripoffs on this. So we had Fortress Inquisition from Fallen Order going in pretty similar way, but a lot less security. Uh, I don't know, was this before or after Jedi Fallen Order? Either way, either, either way, if the same thing happened at say say you're at a, at your job, and yet the accident happens once, I'm assuming you have a meeting about said accident. Mm -hmm. It's like okay, it was breached. Okay, we're going to fix that. We're going to make sure that the same water entrance, the same way they got it, isn't repeated again for the bad guys. But it happened twice. So it's either they're incapable. Which that's or, kind of the theme of the Empire under Disney is they're just so incompetent at everything. They yeah, do but it never felt that way in the original trilogy. The only thing was the that. aim thing, but that's because they were always shooting at main characters. So there was you could reason things. And Greedo shot first, too. So that was a little bit of an accuracy. <laughs> the Twitch. I love in the cut where Hans was like... And I'm like, what? What is that? It just it looks so bad. Even that, that twitch still didn't matter because it missed him by like two feet. <laughs> so, so let's let's pretend that didn't happen. Um, um, there we could sit on Star Wars topics all day here with Kenobi. We can um, hit a couple really quick. So we had that one, the Fallen Order, which I guess the best way that works is if Kenobi came first, since we don't have the fleets in orbit. Which I'm not even sure. I can't believe there wouldn't be fleets around this fortress to begin with. That the basic shuttle could fly down, but we had the Vader mask was just ripped right out of Rebels. Like, the only thing that was cool is the voice modulation was a little different. I like that better. But it was like, we've seen these scenes before. And this when Kenobi new. turned off his lightsaber in the dark and killed the stormtroopers, turned it off, turned it mm -hmm. back on, wasn't that a ripoff of uh, Force Unleashed? Force Unleashed. That was a nice callback to the trailer, yeah. But it was, and of course we had the, we talked about the uh, beginning of Six, where it's a callback to The Last Jedi. Just, I you don't really know. talk about Last Jedi. I feel like Kenobi, one, it should have been a film, if anything. But so much of it was just fluff. And the episodes weren't necessarily long. Like, I think some of the episodes were about, like, 30 minutes. And I'm just like, you had six episodes. And you couldn't at least, you know, use the time to give us something here. Especially since you had the original actors. Such a missed opportunity. I mean, I also love Disney patting themselves on the back. It's like the longest or the most watched in, in terms of runtime uh... on TV for Disney+. Plus. Pat yourself on the back. Wouldn't it be the first time that they released two episodes for a premiere? So, pack it. Pack Pat yourself on the back there, Disney. Um, let's. I'm gonna go over a few more busts real quick. Thor: Love and Thunder. What were you doing? Like you, you didn't like, like the well, screaming goats? No. Yeah. Honest. Like the first time was like okay, <laughs> and then the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, a hundredth mm -hmm. time. Taika Waititi. I don't know. See, here's the here's the problem. I wasn't a fan of Ragnarok. Mm -hmm. Did you watch Ragnarok? I enjoyed Ragnarok. Okay. I wasn't a fan of Ragnarok. I didn't like the humor in which they were taking Thor. Mm -hmm. I liked. I did like. Not saying the Dark World is a great analogy for the for the Thor movies, but I like Thor's the, had a rough run. I like the Dark World in sense of like that dark theme mm -hmm. because there is a lot of themes, even though they weren't capitalized on very properly in that film. I like the dark themes. Like again, we talk about the DC films with the Batman. When it's done well, it's done a little bit darker in shade and brings a little bit of personality. 
This film, they just made a joke in a Yeah, I, the whole thing was just one big comedy. But the problem, another thing is like, all right, so having one big comedy isn't necessarily a bad thing. Like, it was already branded as it's going to be pretty lighthearted. But the jokes need to land. And it just doesn't work. So Ragnarok, uh, Ragnarok isn't pure comedy. There's some very serious moments in that. Especially like when Helga shows up on Asgard and kills all the characters we already knew from the uh, core four. Well, actually three. Sia survives. Or at least if, I think is the name, right? Uh, she survives... Uh, because of a casting thing, she couldn't be on set at the time. Uh, but so there's like, it has those heavy moments to weigh out the humor. Love and Thunder, you just, you don't have that. You just don't have that. There's no balance to go with it. Um, though I will say, so the God Killer, uh, actor's name is escaping me at the moment. Maybe you can help me out there. Christian Bale. Christian Bale did a great job with his role, even though it was only... That you was know, a bright spot. 15 minutes of the screen time. That was a bright, the bright spot. And it actually was, uh, again, a darker opening to Thor Love and Thunder because it shows you Christian Bale's character going through and, and praying to his god. And then he, like, semi-dies or he falls upon, like, the garden in which the gods are eating. And somehow just the, the slain sword of the god killer pops up and he touches a handle and he turns into a god killer and slays the god in front of him for like mocking him like oh you pathetic like mortals and stuff like that like you know just like okay so it gives you like that like okay i say they they criminally underused him yeah well absolutely but i'm saying the opening was like okay Mm -hmm. interesting and then the rest was like trash yeah you start out it was hot trash on fire just falls apart um while I'm doing this, let's do a quick boom. I know you didn't see this film. Mm-hmm. I said this was very much Pulp Fiction-esque. I absolutely love Bullet Train. Mm-hmm. Bullet Train with Brad Pitt was my top third film of the year. Uh, yeah, this is one that kind of popped up pretty late on my radar, but I've been hearing some pretty good things about it. So here's the thing. When it came out, again, battling the late stages of Top Gun Maverick, just mm-hmm. dominating everything, which will be on the list. Don't worry, guys. We will get to that. Um, battling in the late stages, this was a film that didn't get a lot of good reviews and didn't really get a lot of people to go see it right away. Mm-hmm. So it struggled at the box office for a while to break even. I believe it did break even at the end, but this was a film that should have made a lot more money. Uh, I just think it wasn't. It Do you think it's because it was overshadowed by Top Gun? It was overshadowed. Not, I'm not going to say by Top Gun. I just feel like it was overshadowed in the sense of like, hey, they decided not to market it nearly as much as they could have. Mm-hmm. But again, I'm not going to tell somebody how to market something because marketing, we both know, is a little bit of an iffy subject. With, I because you, you, don't, you don't know what's going to spark interest for it. But I wish you would have put like, well, maybe one more million mm-hmm. in the marketing and then you would have been pretty golden. Some of these are trickier where you don't have a clear cut audience of who do you want to try to target. It's also not a family friendly film. Mm-hmm. Because when you get that Pulp Fiction ask, you're you're looking to like an investigative, a you don't know what's going to come next, some swearing, some killing, some blood, some guts, you know. Some of these develop very strong cult followings. So maybe, you know, it didn't get too much attention this year, but perhaps in the years to come, I mean, we might see a lot of like a resurgence of popularity of this. Absolutely. And I hope it does because it was a really fun watch for this year. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jake, do you have another boom or bust? Uh, Let's see. So I'm going to jump to another show here. This is a bust for me, and it would be She-Hulk, which... So did you see She-Hulk? How dare you She-Hulk? Oh, I know, I know. I'm going to get torn apart for this one, but... The critics and the paid... I I, I was going to say paid critics, but... 87% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, I think? 30-something from the fans? how, How dare you? Let me tell you, man, I... The shills would be very upset with you right now. So I'm which the biggest thing they kind of bade people in with this was the uh, the Daredevil, 
uh, is what people were waiting for. But he doesn't show up until I believe episode seven or maybe eight, uh, wherever the frog character comes in. And, you know, a lot of people were very up in arms, like against, oh, this is the worst thing ever. And it creates sort of a huge feud, which let me say it definitely, it was not good. But the biggest thing I would say that was the sin of this is it was just so boring. Like you're watching an episode of this and you're like, I'm just not invested in this. And now maybe, I mean, maybe I'm not the target audience. Uh, I do watch some films though that fall under, you know, chick flick categories. I think of like Pitch Perfect, which I love that series of movies. But I'm Jake watching this. Jake is a Twilight lover, may I remind you. I've actually never watched the Twilight movies, believe it or not. Uh, completely skipped that. I'm not a big vampire person, except for Blade. But uh, this show, like you're just, and it brings back some old characters like the Abomination from the old Hulk movie, uh, which is technically canon, but they've switched the main actors. Uh, but same actors back now for the Abomination, which was kind of a surprise. And it's just, so it was written by people that they don't know how to court, write court dramas. They said that. So they're going for more of a sort of a character drama, but they just, it's hard to care about the main character. Uh, so they try the fourth wall breaks like Deadpool does, and they just, they're just not entertaining fourth wall breaks. Like it tries to poke fun at itself. It tries to poke fun at its, at its audience a lot. Uh, it anticipated what kind of comments they were going to get from trolls, but also from critics. And they said, oh, it's just because you hate this. And it's like, just because you acknowledge there's a flaw in your show doesn't mean that you did a good job. You should have fixed the flaw instead. But it's just the main thing is it's just, I don't know, it's just boring. It's just very boring. It's questionable writing. There's a section in it where she breaks the fourth wall and it was like, what is happening here? And it's like, yeah, no, I've been wondering that for the whole show. Uh, I will say though, so there's a couple scenes uh, in particular there's one so where it's sort of the two sidekicks. So one of the, uh, or one friend from the law place and one of the other guys that works there, they're going to try and get her a super suit. And it's just, it's this little montage of like 20 minutes of just these two side characters. And I think that was better than anything that had She-Hulk on screen. Like if this was a show about these two side characters instead, would have been a much more entertaining show. But so She-Hulk, definitely a bust on the show side of Marvel. A bust on my list, even though, don't hate me Jurassic Park fans, Jurassic World Dominion. Mm, that was the failed opportunity which listen it was great to see everybody come back on screen mm -hmm. but it was a failed opportunity in my opinion to the actually to bring everything together it was like cool because you're jumping back and forth between characters but then at the same time it's just like but what's the overall arc mm -hmm. what's the overall theme it just wasn't there yeah, it's definitely one of those that played off of sort of nostalgia for the older And films. I'm not saying that every Jurassic Park film had a theme or like a story because really it was just like, ooh, we're going to run around with dinosaurs and try not to get eaten. I mean, that's, like, kind, that's of kind of the story of, of all of them. The first one is a good job of making you question some things, but after that, it's like, we kind of did this already. But you know what? Chris Pratt, you're amazing. I hope you kill it as Mario because we know that's coming Upcoming out Upcoming Mario movie, films of 2023. And check us out because I'm sure Jake will be back to talk about films, upcoming films of 2023 this Welcome. new year. So that was a bust for me. Lightyear was the biggest bust. Uh, oh, let me put this on the list because I have to. So Lightyear, welcome to the box office and then straight to Disney Plus, my friends, because that's what you got. I feel like I forgot this film came out this year. My mind just like purged it from existence. Like I just completely like, oh, that did exist. That's right. 
Chris Evans, you might be Captain America, but you are not Buzz Lightyear, my friend. Oh, this is that's a hit. So I don't know if you watched when we were young. There was a show called Buzz Lightyear of Star Command. Did you watch that growing I up? Did. I loved that show when I was growing up, and I was expecting like, oh, cool, a Buzz Lightyear movie. I always wanted that as a kid, like in the universe, just like the show. And so, like, I had these expectations, and and you managed to ruin. One of my favorite characters in Toy Story as well. Not just Buzz. I'm not talking about Buzz. I'm not talking about the aliens. I'm not talking about even that precious little cat that you had, the mm, robot cat. I did the which cat was, merchandising. Which was the number one. It's like the BB-8 of the Star Wars trilogy, okay? You see this thing right here? Camera? See this thing? BB-8? Merchandising. Merchandising. BB-8 was the best thing in the Disney Star Wars sequels. I'm not kidding you. That was the He's, best thing. He loves his BB-8. Yes, I love my BB-8. Very much. He's behind there too. There's more BB-8s around here on studio. I know. So. Uh, he, that cat was a BB-8 of Buzz Lightyear. But I will say this, just like you said, you forgot this film came out this year. So did the audience, because they didn't show up. No. Um, I will put this, this is going to be a lot of hate. I feel it just resonating at me. I put the new Elvis movie on there. Oh. <laughs> the Elvis crew is going to tear you the apart. The Elvis crew, I know personally somebody, she loves Elvis. And she loves the movie. And Butler did a great job. Butler actually did do a good job as Elvis. You know, my question, though, why didn't they just cast Elvis as Elvis? He's not dead. They just need to call him back. He just went home for a little while. You conspiracy theorists, how dare you? I love it. Actually, I, I forgot. Two reminds me of uh, another. Two uh, I'll let you say what you say. You just remind me of another boom I forgot about. <laughs> um, what I was going to say is. In a and, and I do like this trend of not only storytelling where we're doing a lot of fiction. But I like the idea of doing documentaries or like, you know, autobiographies of these these artists and these musicians. It's just it's becoming too much of a trend now. So and yeah, I remember some we this discussed wasn't and I'm not saying that Elvis was a bad film. It's because not we have our good like booms and busts. We can we can go back and forth when we say booms and busts, you know, things that we liked about it. Things is overall captivated. But my bust is simply because A, I don't think we needed it. B, it was semi-boring. <laughs> and C, it just, again, it's not the best <coughs> of the ones that came before it, the autobiographies. Because mm-hmm. you had one from Queen, Freddie so Mercury. the dramatization autobiographies. Yeah. Well, not autobiographies. And, and, and it's not, not the best himself, one. So, of course, that's yeah. just going to knock it down for me. Yeah, so these are tricky because they're, so it's a genre. Like, you don't go into these for, you know, ultimate accuracy and, like, sort of, you know, perfect retelling. But there's sort of these dramatizations to make everything feel very extreme. And some people absolutely love those. But if you're not one of those people that really goes for these, it's these films can really feel like a chore to you. And I do hate the fact, and this is a this is a different, probably a different podcast discussion, but the fact that what is like I love these films that are based off true stories. Like we get away with it, like when Christopher when Christopher Nolan does the Oppenheimer film that's coming out next year. Mm-hmm. Or does Dunkirk or you get the Saving Private Ryan's and like films like that, like the overall war films. Like we give things a pass because we're like, well, you know what? Sometimes these characters weren't real. They're just dramatizations of the war. But the all inclusive thing was real. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you get these personal ones where it's just about this one person that's either passed away or you're getting first or second recalls from like a generational, like a family member or whatever, like how their life actually was and what they actually thought. Like how much of that is actually real? It's because tricky it's, sometimes when you don't to, have... To me, have. even if you have a diary, like even if the person has a diary, it's just hard to go back to like these situations 
and say like, yes, everything's based off a true story. Like not everything in it's real, but they try to portray like, this is the actual way that Elvis was. This is the actual way that, this actual way that Freddie Mercury was. And it's just, to me, it's a little bit deceiving, but that's just me when it comes to these. But I do love the trend as far as like the history and documentary stuff. Something tricky with these is so when you come at these films from a, you know, a modern take is you have a different lens on the world than they had. So one event that might happen then that isn't a big deal might feel like a big step for us. So you have, you know, you lose the hindsight is 20, 20, uh, you know, quote, but you could also say hindsight is like 520 because sometimes we see things and don't understand them in the way that world did. And it definitely changes how some of these stories are told. Uh, we were talking though about how using accounts and stuff. Sometimes, you know, I've seen that done really well. One of the prime examples I think of is, uh, have you seen Hacksaw Ridge? Yes. It's one of the World War II, it recounts the story. So something they do in that, and I believe it was in the credits, is they, uh, they show some of the accounts of uh, people that he rescued and they're telling their story. And in the film, they used those same accounts and made them events that happened in the film. And I really liked how they did it with that film, but it is a very tricky balance sometimes. I'm going to go through a few quick booms. And these are like the honorable mention booms real mm -hmm. quick. Um, because we're going to get to two big ones coming up here that are really big booms because we haven't even discussed the big box office winners. Mm -hmm. Oh, there's some the heavy United hitters States waiting here. along. So honorable mention booms. These are just really, in my opinion, really good watches. The one actually, Knives Out, mm -hmm. which is not a sequel, but it's of the Knives, Knives Out trilogy with the same detective. Um, Glass Onion came out on Netflix. Mm -hmm. Very good watch. I don't like it nearly as much as the first one, but a good watch. Beast, about the lion that goes rogue and kills people. I forgot that one existed. That was good. Actually, it wasn't like, you know, it was kind of like Lee Neeson, the gray type film. Yeah. Just enough action to keep you on the top, like on the on the edge of your seat. I was kind of like, we've been here but before. But then the ending's kind of like, eh, just a lion version of Jaws. But you know what? It is a good, it is a good watch. Mm -hmm. There are some good, like, little horror-esque prowling hunting moments that's just like, okay, it's cool. Um, and then the last one, Dog. I don't know if you remember Dog, but that's what Channing Tatum, when they when he Was that one of the Dog Army Journey dog. ones? Um, it's, it's a, I believe it's a German Shepherd breed. That's another one where there's like, it's sort of a genre of like sort of dog feel-good movies. Yeah, it's a dog feel-good film. Yeah, I didn't see that one, but I know that's- It's a military Vaguely remember. Film. There's a couple of those where it's and the military rescues. So, if you want a good family-friendly watch, watch yeah. that one. You'll Sometimes you need something wholesome. Uh, speaking of, though, booms, another one that was a Netflix show is Inside Job, which second season came out, which it's actually, they filmed the first season as uh, season one and season two are actually just one season, but they had to split it up because of how Netflix is set up. And that's one. Are you familiar with Inside Job? I'm not. So it's about the deep state. That's why I thought of Elvis. Because in their intro, they have Elvis on a beach in one of the scenes. Oh, Lord. Uh, and it, it plays off of all the conspiracies, like the hollow earth theory and all sorts of different ones. Uh, and it's just a great time. It's a comedy. It plays against both sides politically. And it's just a fun time. From the creators of Gravity Falls. Or some of them. But different director. So, Jake, before we hit up the top two booms, is there any more on your list that you want to discuss? Oh, let's see. So we can wrap up, toss in a couple. Of, well, we'll throw this in as a bust, but we won't dive into this one. Rings of Power. Oh, gosh. We, I, we could have a whole different podcast just on this one, talking about the lead up to where they were insulting Tolkien scholars and the insult to the lore and creating new, they're called Harfoots, which they're just hobbits for marketing. Uh, we won't dive into this one too hard, but that's a bust. But just tell me, Jacob, do you feel like 
Do you feel angry because of the writers behind the scenes, or is it just bad on screen too? Oh, man, how's your real? There's a lot of issues with this one. You got the writing, you got the filming, and you've got the characters. It's just the actors. Some of the some of the actors are okay, but a lot of the actors in this, it's like just not great. I'll just I'll just leave it at that. But I'm, one of the most expensive show for one of the most expensive. Uh, shows to produce. Amazon dumped a ton of money. They wanted the next Game of Thrones, but instead, House of the Dragon slapped one out of the water. No, they listen. They got the Game of Thrones. They got the last season of Game of Thrones. It's only is, season. It's Game of Thrones, I, but only season eight. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. It was. They've even. So they got that. They've even, as much as they can public publicly acknowledge, they have acknowledged that, yeah, this didn't really work. We're going to change up some things for season two. I think that there's a trend, and there's kind of been this trend since 2016, 2017. I would even argue back when Star Wars, when Disney bought Star Wars franchise from Lucasfilm, what they technically bought Lucasfilm in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of the times, and what's ruining the movie experience, just like kind of what social media is ruining all of our lives, in a sense, in this case, of... We know everybody's opinions. Everybody has the opportunity to speak on certain subjects. And I feel like there's also people that get turned away. And I'm not saying that this made films better or worse, but I'm looking at a few of the films here. Thor Love and Thunder, Taika Waititi, how he went on certain conversations. Uh, You look at Black Panther, how some of their actors went on certain conversations that they had. You look at Lightyear with Chris Evans. and Rings of Power had a lot of commentary behind it. No, but you look at Rings of Power. I'm trying to go through up here. Is there anyone up here? Ryan Johnson, I kind of let him pass with the glass on you, but I can't let him pass for Star Wars. He was part of that Star Wars debacle. She-Hulk had a lot behind it. She-Hulk had a lot. Well, one talk- of the big trends is insulting the fans, which is just one I, I cannot... And why would thing- you insult your target and audience? The other thing, too, is James Cameron, my friend, the whole time, and you can contest to this, the whole few weeks leading up to it when James Cameron makes some, and I'm going to say stupid comments out there, I think that that's legit, and I'll keep that the word stupid. Mm-hmm. Conversations and comments out there. I was just holding my breath. I was like, please still let this film be good so that all this other conversation slides aside, in which right now it appears to be. Well, so since you've taken us there, shall we lead into Avatar 2, The Way of Water? I know you saw it because I drove you through a snowstorm to see it. So Don't go too I, deep now, just first impressions. I know. But I want to do a backstory real quick. Yes, Jake drove me through a snowstorm. And I did request that he drive because his car has four-wheel drive. Yep. Even though we were supposed to get MPA, five to eight inches of snow that they called for, we didn't even get one, but that's okay. It was all slush, freezing We rain. didn't get a lot of slush. Like, the roads were pretty yeah. slick. Like, you oh, had were, to watch. Was, the roads were still bad. But, but it saying, was no eight inches The weatherman let us down again locally. That's okay, though. But the backstory is we have both been waiting, one more than the other, since 2009 for this film. It at Donna here is it is about my... as die hard for the first avatar film as you can get it is my star wars yes which is a very big statement coming from him it is so with that being said we were going to go as a group and we had a big group we too. had a big group and it was still a big group on the second night too because i went thursday and friday to go see it mm-hmm. even though one person in the group wasn't so happy because i told her we would go see it together and well that didn't end up very well uh, was she expecting was just you and her uh no she was cool with the friend group gone okay Oh, no, she was I, mad that you didn't I, do the first I, watch. I, I, <laughs> no, but it's okay. And I was going to keep that secret. And then Mike's like, well, he went last night. I was like, well, thanks, Mike. So, <laughs> Not um, throwing you under the bus. Yes. Other backstories, though, is I've just been excited and holding my breath. It's been since I was 13 years old waiting for this film. And I think a lot of other people in that 13-year gap were very excited. There was, there's, there was a cult following for the first Avatar film. 2009 for anyone that and, wants and to And a lot of people... came out. And a lot of people, I think... Critics 
and some audiences and some YouTubers and influencers were having conversations leading up like, who's going to see this? Like, who really wants an Avatar sequel? Who, whatever. And like, it kind of was like the whole bashing moment for the people that did love the Avatar franchise, or at least the solo film at that point, not the whole franchise, because this is now considered a franchise. Mm-hmm. And we just sat back in the shadows. And I got to tell you, $1.3 billion right now by the end of this weekend yes. feels really good. Now, we don't know how much it's going to make. But it has Ava- already topped Black Panther, and it's only been out for a couple weeks now. I know. Which it's is, a- that's an impressive turnout. And the fact that Black Panther is not going to break a billion dollars is also a big story, by the way. We'll see if it still does, but I'm surprised it hasn't. It's only $800 million. Yeah. So that's a long stretch for that's probably two more weeks left. Um, but Avatar The Way of Water, first reaction, beautiful cinematic approach. Um, the fact that they were able to use real water in some of the shots because they mm-hmm. had the film, they put the actors through training to actually go underwater. They actually broke record. a record, yep. one of the actresses. Sigourney Weaver, I believe, was seven minutes and 15 seconds. Was it Sigourney Weaver? Sigourney Weaver also mm-hmm. did it. Because I know someone broke Tom Cruise's record. It's impressive. Yeah, oh yeah, it is. It is His impressive. record, I think, was six minutes. Can you imagine holding your breath underwater for six minutes? Can you can you imagine beating it by a minute? No. <laughs> that's, that's also impressive. Not, not that you came up like a split second later. Mm-hmm. That you came up a whole minute and some seconds later. That's impressive. Tom Cruise needs to start uh, going underwater yeah. and training again. Don't give any more ideas for Mission Impossible series. We don't need it. We're going to go to Atlantis now. Stop it. We need to stop the Mission Impossible. <laughs> Just stop. Um, but yes, again, Avatar 2, first reaction. Cinematically awesome. Story. We can have some question marks. We're going to dive into this one. I think sure. that, and again, to me, it was a family-friendly film. And I was actually shocked in this modern day of Hollywood where he himself, James Cameron, who, again, with comments in the past that he's made, made a good film where it talked about the role of family. Mm-hmm. And I think that resonated. I know that you and me beforehand talked about how it wasn't emotional. Like, you didn't feel emotionally connected. I know people that were in their 60s and 70s that went to go and were excited to see this film just in that cult following. That said that they cried at this film. Wow. And wow. I think that's, it shows you. And not, was it the whale part? It was not the whale part. Okay. It was not the space whale wars. No, it was not. The space whale hunting. Space whale wars. Clearly the whale edged the war. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Well, they are smarter than humans. He, he wasn't even a part of that war. Us. And he inserted himself into it. That was a cool scene. That, I do know, love that scene. And I know you talked about the last fight, and this is this will get into more of a conversation when we have our Avatar review. We'll definitely have to do another side one. When but we dive I did say, visually, story, out of 100, I would give it more like an 85 mm-hmm. story. But yeah. again, that, that kind of does beat the first Avatar story-wise. Uh, give it a little bit more edge. I think you disagree with me on that. But that is my first reaction. I want to let you take the stage for. Yeah, I, so I still I classify this one as a boom as well. Uh, I thought it was a great film, but I do have some issues with it. Uh, though I have to say, like, as far as me going into it, it's it's pretty much what I expected. When I get into an Avatar film, James Cameron, you expect amazing visuals because it's James Cameron. And I was expecting eh, so-so story because that's kind of what the first one is. I mean, it was a generational event because of its visuals. It's just it wrote so many breakthrough moments as far as what cinematography had done to that point. And I knew he's been spending... Uh, 13 years now working on new technology, innovating new techniques. And so I fully expected from a visual standpoint, this was going to be astounding. And you know what? Visually, yeah, it was amazing. Uh, something I was really impressed on is so you know how a lot of times in CGI movies, especially with aliens, you kind of get into that like uncanny valley territory where you're just like, oh my gosh, it looks so fake. Or also if you ever watch like an old movie that was like not made for HD and then you watch it in HD or 4K even, and you're like, ooh, this, this did not age well. Uh, something about this film is just, 
I didn't really have many moments of that, if any, I can think of. Like, I was really impressed with just the CGI, which, I mean, I knew it was going to be. So, again, it's what I expected. But, yeah, overall, boom for me. Uh, some story questions, but we'll dive into that another time. I do want to ask because, again, there's a lot of a lot of media stuff going on between overhype, less hype, fan reaction, whether it's good or positive. For the most part, it's been positive fan reaction. A lot of people are reactions like have been interesting. It's been well, but then there's there's channels I follow and people I like, you know, basically share like 90, 10 opinions based off of mm-hmm. you know watching the content, and I agree with them. They were like bashing this film, saying the critics were raising up, but I have never, from my personal opinion saw the critics raising this film up. It's always been the critics bashing and the fans love it. So it's a weird split. But to counteract my point personally, people like me that are fan like that the Avatar is their Star Wars, I'm gonna go see it for the third time this coming weekend. You know, so I went opening night, I went the night after. That's me being a diehard fan. Okay. Which another film on this list, the next one we're gonna talk about an ultimate boom, I saw seven times before yeah. they even left straight to DVD or whatever streaming service. But I want to ask you, because you're somebody that went in with the attitude of, oh, I'm going to go see what this is about. Cool effects, what you expected. Jake, how many times have you seen it? Or are you planning to see it again? So at this point, I've seen Avatar twice, and I plan to see it a third time next month. And uh, taking I, somebody I, that hasn't seen it yet. But I want to say that is big. Oh, I know. I know. So usually if uh, there's a movie I'm very invested in, uh, and like I want to have, you know, I want to be able to reflect on, uh, I'll do twice. So Star Wars the is an excellent example here. I've seen all the Star Wars movies twice, except for Rise of Skywalker. But I always do that, even if, like, so, you know, we take uh, Rise or Last Jedi, and I watch the first one, and then I would go again the second week, just so, all right, first week is the opening night hype. Because the movie's always more exciting the first time you see it. When you're in theaters, when people are in costume, and there's just a lot of buzz. And the second one's when you're like, all right, I can reflect on this a little more. I'm past some of the shock and awe. Let me watch it a second time. And that's kind of what I did with this one, but also I, I was taking someone that wanted to see it, and we were trying out a new movie theater to see what that theater would be like. And I will say, I, kind of odd thing here, I feel like my second watch went faster, and I was even more invested than the first time. Unlike your Batman experience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I to me, bat- even the Batman, even though it is a boom for me, because I know I didn't talk about the Batman on my boom, mm-hmm. is a boom for me, but Batman, even though it was like a two-and-a-half-hour film, the first time in theaters, it felt like a two and a half hour film. The second time I saw it in theaters, knowing what was coming, it felt like three and a half hours. Yeah, like there there was a there was a little bit more, but that was also like a detective one. I think detective ones when you know what's coming, unless like, they have something else that really carries them, like the characters yeah. really need to carry or the humor or the suspense. Yeah, and I will say so. Like I I rated Batman as a boom, but I liked the Dark Knight series better. And I will say that while Batman watching Batman, I was I was checking my watch. Well, not my watch, my phone. But I remember watching it, and I mean, I we already talked about sort of the like how dark it was at times, where I'm like, I can't really see what's going on here. And sometimes, like, you can play that to your advantage, but sometimes it's just like, I don't know what's happening right now. I just too dark. Ah, uh, but that was one where it was sometimes, especially like the opening was it was just really slow sometimes. Uh, when it had its good moments, it had its good moments. I also feel like it should have maybe ended like. 40 minutes early or 30 minutes early. I forget the number I said. Uh, it just, it did drag on. Uh, I saw it once. I would say I enjoyed it. Would I watch it a second time? Mm, I'm not in any hurry to. Yeah. But just to emphasize the point, because I think Jake is a good audience for this, even though we're friends, we've talked about Avatar for years. 
leading up wondering if this was ever going to happen may i add because there was years in between it's like they kept pushing dates back pushing dates back mm-hmm. but i think jake is a good testament to the average moviegoer where he's not only looking to take you know he he went me on open night if you don't mind me saying he took his dad to go see it yeah, following and me. he's going to be taking other people as well for the third watch um to me it's more so like i'm making conversations with people and saying hey are you a film lover and half the time the people I talk to are like, yeah, because who doesn't love to sit down and do Netflix and chill? Am I right? No, but as far as like going to the movie theater, are you like big into going to theaters? And I'll talk to these people and they're like, yeah. And I'm like, listen, you got to go experience this film in theaters. This is definitely one that I do recommend in theaters. Between this and the next film. Find on- the best theater you have. And not, you don't need to watch it in 3D. You don't need to watch an IMAX, but just find a theater where you're going to have comfortable seats. Highly recommend that because it is a long film and it's just going to have good uh visuals good audio and it's a good time for and that. go to the bathroom before absolutely don't buy a soda and, don't well, drink no, you can you can drink soda because i managed it i didn't miss that the first you time. have to lightly trend on the soda for a little bit don't but drink it all the, the first hour you're but gonna, get you're them done larges for. get them larges because get the refills afterwards and you get the avatar cup potentially depending on your theater i didn't get the bucket though i'm upset about that oh yeah they didn't have the bucket they didn't have the bucket for me yeah. i guess i had to pay something extra to go see it in 3d to get that bucket well it's strange our first theater we went to didn't really have anything but the second theater I went out to had like a full blue carpet thing going on. They had, you got your drinks and they had blue straws that like, as the, well, it was like a clear straw. And as the straw got wet, it would turn blue, but it would potentially turn, I think it was like green or red. There was a color where like, if you got it, you won like a free movie ticket or something like that. And they had like all these other sort of merchandising things going on. There's avatar signs everywhere. Uh, it was more of like an experience. And I'm really disappointed our first theater didn't do that, which was odd for them because they usually do a bit more. But our first theater too, the one that we're specifically go to for most of our premieres, when we saw the premieres of Star Wars, like the Five of First Legion was there. They had like oh, yeah. the one year, they had a Wampa suit. The Wampa was amazing. Wampa, was I, like I can't believe that. Tall. That is the most incredible thing I've seen. Probably well, don- or not a contrary, there was a mouse droid remote control going around. It was a good time. So the second theater, which I know you weren't part of that group, mm-hmm. um, the one, and I want to give it a shout out, shout out to an employer at a um, Regal Cinema. She, of course, she was up front getting the tickets for us, and she painted her face with the Avatar blue and like mm, stuff like that. So you I mentioned like, that she went a little bit above and beyond, and I appreciate every minute of that. So, shout out. Um, but we are going to talk about making money. And my number one film of the year, I'm just going to say, Avatar was two, Bullet Train was three. My number one was a giant boom, and probably definitely the biggest hit of this year. So there's no doubt what's coming. It's Top Gun Maverick, which I actually did not get a chance to see when I was finally ready to go see it in theaters, which I know is going to sound terrible because it was there for months. Uh, it won't. It disappeared. I was ready. I was like, I'm going to see it this week. And then they're like, hey, uh, sorry, this weekend is when we pulled it out. And I was like, really? It was a father-son moment to see in theaters and his dad was ready to take him. See, I took my dad well, to my go see... my dad saw it twice yeah. and he wanted to see it more. So I was I, like, I, ah. go, I took my dad to go see Top Gun Maverick. I took everybody, it seems like, to go see Top Gun Maverick. And everybody mm-hmm. that I pulled, I was like, yo, some random stranger off the seat, uh, off the street, get in here. You gotta watch this film. Because, like I said, I saw it seven times before it even hit a streaming service. Mm-hmm. It was an incredible experience to see in theaters, um, the surround sound in the theaters, the, the, the vibing of the engines as they're roaring on screen, a theatrical experience. Top Gun, ne- or Tom Cruise, excuse me, never ages. Let me remind you, he yeah, never he ages. That Church of Scientology is working out very well for him. May I remind you? Something worth mentioning is a lot of people went to this that don't go to see movies. So you mentioned my father there. I'm, we did mention for Avatar, but my father doesn't go to movie theaters. Uh, neither of my parents do. And so when I go to the movie theater, you know, I go with friends. But he went and saw this on his own. Well, with my mom. But that's that's pretty unheard of. 
he does not go to theaters. And he went twice. And, and they, a lot of people that I talked to went to see this film. Uh, a lot of it is they definitely pulled from a crowd that is a big, you know, classic Top Gun fan. But even a lot of other people just, they don't go to theaters and they went to see this one. This film brought out that that gap that like, you know, like there's certain audiences like Marvel draws in somebody between 18 and 30 years old. Okay. Like, that's, like, a generic base audience for them. Yes, they draw on some older crowds and stuff like that, but, like, their main target audience is, like, that that teenager through our generation a little bit above. But really, Top Gun Maverick capitalized on bringing the 50-plus crowd. And, and that was, and that was big. People yes. It just, it kind of, it spanned different generations. But what I'm, what I'm saying specifically for this was, yes, it was a good father-son bonding moment where fathers took their sons or sons took their fathers, no matter what age difference, I wouldn't even say film. just fathers there. I'd say mothers and daughters as well. well no, I, I, I agree with that. But I'm just saying, speaking from like a lot of people that I know took their dads and like I specifically took my dad. Mm-hmm. I know that that was something that a lot of people have talked about in the post screenings of it. Mm-hmm. But yeah. there's something that the 40, 50, 60 year old gap in cinema hasn't drawn in in years that they were mm-hmm. able to bring. And that was that's a big chunk. A lot of other movies haven't been able to do that. Well, this that's the after thing, the population count there. Uh I mean, it's a huge population that's generally on tap by most films today, which I mean, they never really were the main target, but if you can get them, I mean, here's proof of what happens. And I, and I got to say too, Avatar, we talk about how much money it's going to grow, how much money it needs to grow. That's on a worldwide spectrum. So it's making $1.3 billion by the end of this weekend projected. Um, we'll see. So what would that be? That would be like the third week it's been out. So almost 21 days yeah, by the end of this weekend. That made $1.3 billion worldwide. That means a Chinese release. That means an Asian release. That means a lot of different releases, countries that, that Top Gun Maverick wasn't allowed to be in. Mm-hmm. Because it is a strictly, and let's just say they don't, as Top Gun, they don't emphasize who the villain is. But at the same time, like you know that it's a patriotic film. It's meant for America. It pulled in over $700 million from America alone. Mm-hmm. it didn't need that foreign audience we got a lot of the foreign audience too like there was a lot of countries that support the united states that love those feel good family values that so in. so 700 there i believe for some comparison there so avatar 2 is domestic. it also grossed 1.2 or 1.1 top gun million or yeah. billion so avatar's so. domestic was i think 300k yeah. roughly around there so that's 400k i mean yes it repeated a lot but i don't think avatar 2 is going to hit that high not domestically no not domestically and i, I completely agree with that but it doesn't have to Mm. no it doesn't but that still says a huge thing that you can pull so much of a crowd but it also says something huge about avatar too and i I think there's gonna be a lot of studies done in the filmmaking world especially marketing wise avatar right now they're saying it's bombing in china Mm. which is a big audience which it technically relied on a little bit back in 2009 Mm. but it's grossing so much that and i know there's a lot of hollywood films that have tried to pander to that audience over there because there's a three billion population over there in china but it shows that films can make money outside of that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's big too. Well, what you see a lot of films do right now is they'll have like two cuts. They have a cut for, you know, the U.S. and the West. And then they have a cut for China and certain other key countries. Uh, Disney especially is notorious for that. They have whole scenes they will cut out of the film. Uh, which is one of those things where Disney antagonizes both sides of people, but we won't get into that. Yeah. No. Probably for foreign countries, maybe they edited out like three hours of the Avatar film. They didn't cut anything like specific scenes out. They just decided to be like, hey, let's trim some time off this. Yeah, maybe. I, I, I do expect James Cameron to do a director's cut re-release. Mm-hmm. He did that with the first Avatar 2. 
when it was released and they came out with the secondary release after it kind of went off the market. Mm-hmm. I feel like James Cameron has another 30 minutes left in him of extra stuff. He's probably got more yeah, than 30 minutes. I know, but I'm just saying, he's probably going to do a re-release and that's going to bump these numbers up mm-hmm. even more. I, I expect so. that. I mean, he, he just did a re-release of the first film, so... And that uh, pushed it to $2.9 billion, so yeah, that's so almost... I, think about that. It almost is at $3 billion, the first mm-hmm. Avatar film, between the re-releases and stuff. Yeah, we're absolutely going to see a re-release of this one. Well, Jake, thank you for joining me here to start 2023 with our booms and busts, best and worst, best moments like Chris Rock and slapped at the Oscars, how we started the year. I bet you what forgot that happened. No, I haven't. I think about that. So uh, there was a video <laughs> where it's, it's the slap, but with ragdoll physics. And just every couple weeks, I think about it. It's so dumb. But every couple weeks, I just think about it and I chuckle. Well, Jake, there's been a lot of good moments. Uh, I'll end with this. What was one of your best moments of 2022? Uh, as far as, you know, of course, film and cinematography, I assume we're going. Um, you know, so I scouted a new theater on my second watch of Avatar. And let me tell you, I have never been in a theater that nice. And I've been to a few theaters across the country. But this theater, perfection. And watching Avatar 2 in that theater, beautiful time for moviegoers. Like I said, I hate to put you on the spot and not put myself on the spot. Um, I will say that Top Gun Maverick was my favorite film and best experience for people that don't know me or just have followed me on Instagram where I can share more personal stories. A week before we saw Top Gun Maverick, we put our German Shepherd at six years down. So Lady Gaga's Hold My Hand during that song is beautiful. It resonated. So thank you, Top Gun. Thank you, Lady Gaga, for that beautiful song. So that's where I'm going to end that somber note. Guys, if you have a favorite moment of 2022, a favorite film of 2022, I do real quick put out a poll, not really a poll, more of a questionnaire on Instagram tonight before the podcast. And I asked, what was your favorite film of 2022? I'm going to read some real quick. You got the Avatar Way of Water. You got the Batman with the, with the little bat logo, by the way. I love the emojis. Um, Top Gun Maverick and Avatar Way of Water. Uh, Beast was also on there. Uh, the Batman, again. Um, nobody said light year. So we're going to end it on that. Thank you guys. Have a great time. Happy new year, Jake. I'll let you sign it off. And we're tagging out. Happy new year to all of you and check in next time.